Hi, I'm Chris Wigley, Chief Exec at Genomics England, and you're listening to The G Word. Through the conversations we have on this podcast, we hope to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone. Since launching The G Word in January 2021, as part of our national conversation on genomics, we've recorded over 100 episodes, we've been downloaded in over 150 countries, and have grown as an organization from around 200 to over 500 employees. We've had some brilliantly inspiring and powerful discussions with patients, with research participants, with professors, researchers, award-winning genomic specialists, and many more. We want to look back on this journey with you and celebrate so many of the voices we've brought to you so far. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in each week and for all your great ideas and support. And just as a reminder, if you haven't already, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps others to discover the pod. Welcome to the final episode of 2022. In December 2012, the 100,000 Genomes Project was announced by then Prime Minister David Cameron with the goal of harnessing whole genome sequencing technology to uncover new diagnoses and improve treatments for patients with rare inherited diseases and cancer. Professor Mark Caulfield led the scientific discovery and delivery of the 100,000 Genomes Project. He was integral to the project's success and was consequently awarded a knighthood in 2019. This year, 10 years on from that first announcement, we heard from him and the brilliant Gillian Hastings Ward, chair of the participant panel at Genomics England, who reflected on what we've achieved since the very beginning of the 100,000 Genomes Project and what Genomics England's future holds. I hope that lots of other families in the future are able to benefit faster from genetic diagnoses. I think whole genome sequencing does hold the potential for really getting to the heart of what's causing different people's troubles earlier. And that means that families will have less time in that diagnostic odyssey that we've heard so much about and hopefully be able to access treatments and that community together faster than we did. And that would be the the first hope, really. And I know that we're making great strides in that direction already, but there's, there's still more to do there. I hope you join me in celebrating the accomplishments, hard work, diligence and commitment that Gillian, Rebecca and the participant panel have shown in shaping the past, present and future of Genomics England. Participants are, after all, the heart of everything we do. Now, from facilitating research for COVID vaccines to implementing our groundbreaking new initiatives, Genomics England has been and continues to be the forefront of genomic medicine. Our diverse data initiative aims to reduce health inequalities and improve patient outcomes in genomic medicine for everyone, including and especially for communities who have historically been underrepresented in medical research. This year, we heard from the lead of this program, Maxine McIntosh, who spoke with Alicia Davies from the Alan Turing Institute and Brooke Lehman from UCL about the role of data and data science in promoting and improving health quality. The lack of diversity in data sets can also be sort of seen as a form of structured missingness, where ideally you would have representative sample of all the people in in the population or across the country. Um, But for a variety of reasons, biomedical data sets are biased towards Western, white, rich men, typically, uh, which means that historically underserved groups are less likely to be represented in the data. We also heard from our fantastic interns who joined us through the Black Internship Programme, Samuel and Mabassan who discussed the need for black talents in genomics and how the black internship program is breaking barriers to enable the diversification process. I think when it comes to health, especially in the black community, there can be a bit of a distrust with giving over such um, sensitive information. And I think that's why it's so important to have 
companies that represent these people because if you see people like you who look like you you're gonna feel like they have your best intentions um it's just kind of a bit of human nature alongside that program this year we launched our ambassador scheme to open a two-way dialogue with communities where we know health inequalities exist and which have historically been less engaged with genomic research one of our ambassadors aman ali spoke of the muslim census report with my shahab and zaina assad on the g word we've seen that Muslims are more likely to participate in research if they see it benefiting others and their local community. So if we put out these personal stories and make them available, Muslims are more likely to see exactly where this research is going. And like we mentioned, like trust and transparency. So the more transparent, the more likely you are to get involvement. This year, we explored the world of health and data science and imbalanced data sets in our episode with Bilal Mateen, clinical technology leader at the Wellcome Trust, and Evan Tachowski, Director and Lead Data Scientist at the Rockefeller Foundation. There's a, a lack of diverse data, we know that. Uh, there's been loads of great pieces that have established that it's not even that we just tend to collect data sets in high-income countries, but even within those high-income countries, we tend to focus on people from privileged backgrounds. But it's all of the enabling environment around that. So it's not just what we collect, but also who's working with it and the questions they're asking and whether that benefit is equitably distributed. And the really simple way that I like to think about it is we're basically looking into a dark room through a very tiny keyhole. And you're only ever going to see a small part of what's possible if you do that. We need to basically open the door, walk inside and bring a whole community with us uh, to figure out what's possible. For Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, we were joined by Errol Thompson, Errol McClellan and Errol Campbell, who've developed their own organisations to raise awareness of prostate cancer. They talk through health inequalities and how and where they've made an impact in underrepresented communities. What are we doing about this then? If it's curable, should we not be having a conversation? Yes. You know, we don't want to be sending people to the doctors and the doctors are not seeing them. Mm. You know, you can't tell us in one hand that this is a big problem. And then in the other hand, you're not doing anything about it because something needs to be done and it needs to be done now because... The, the numbers are what we know is over 47,000 men a year are diagnosed. Over 11,000 men will die. So that currently means we lose one man every 45 minutes. Yes. So by the end of this day, it's 129 men, right? These are numbers that were given to us. We didn't mm. make these numbers up. It's currently one in 12 Asian men. It's currently one in eight white men. It's currently one in four African Caribbean men. And the, the risk is even more frightening if it's in your family. Mm -hmm. But that's if there's a conversation. Angela Saini, a science journalist and broadcaster, also spoke of the inequalities with us, as well as the history of race science, the use of language and its implications on genomics. Given that we are one human species, we know that now, that we're so homogeneous as a species, that isn't to say that difference doesn't exist, but you know that the vast majority of what we think of mm -hmm. as human difference is cultural and linguistic. The act of categorization in science itself, I've come to see as fundamentally fraught and political. One of the highlights of 2022 was hosting our first research summit since 2019. This was a roaring success with over 5,000 attendees from across the world, both in person and online. 67 speakers over four different tracks, including cancer genomics, emerging technologies, rare disease, and policies and initiatives, with top researchers showcasing their latest scientific findings based on the work they've been doing on our data sets. Let's look back at some of the highlights. 
Our Chief Partnerships Officer, Parkamos, spoke with a world-renowned Daphne Collar on the use of AI and machine learning in drug discovery and discussed the value of multimodal analysis. We're now in a world where there is this abundance of data, which is only, I think, the beginning to what we're likely to be able to see in the, in the coming years. And at the same time, of course, on the other side, we have this um, incredible set of machine learning methods that are able to make sense and extract insights from increasingly large amounts of data and many other areas of, of human endeavor. And so this seems to be a moment in time when those two tidal waves are about to come together in a way that I think offer us the opportunity to unlock some of the underlying secrets, the complexities that, that underlie human health and human disease. We also heard from Gillian Hastings-Ward and our chair, Baroness Nicola Blackwood, about the importance and value of patients being at the heart of research through their lived experience. Trying to make sure that everybody who's around the table has an equal voice when it comes to co-producing a research project is really important. So the researchers obviously bring their scientific expertise, clinicians come with the scientific and the medical knowledge, but I think patients and their families can also bring a lot of lived experience. You naturally become an expert in the condition that affects your family because you want to find out more answers. And I think the energy that comes with having a rare condition and wanting to do something to make it better for yourself and for your people like you is a really powerful driving force in, in moving forward. At the summit, we also heard from Dr. Jack Bartram, who's a paediatric oncologist from Great Ormond Street Hospital, about how he's using whole genome sequencing to transform the treatment of our youngest and most vulnerable cancer patients. Patients are the most important in all of this, and I think if patients start asking for whole genome sequencing or, or not just whole genome, advanced geno genomic testing that's available now through the test directory, that, that's going to be, be the way to do it. But um, yeah, I think the big barrier, as I said, is this uh, tumour germline match sample. Because uh, I think, you know, acute leukemia, it all happens very quickly at the beginning. And once you're hanging around waiting for a remission sample, people are kind of forgotten about whole genome sequencing and, you know, you're well into the treatment. So I think if you get everything right at the beginning, that's, that's the key. And as our last clip from the research summit, Kate Grafton, one of our wonderful panel members, shared her journey with breast cancer and discussed the importance of engaging with the patient community with Vivian Parry. So my challenge to you guys is how can you make your patients understand your research? How can you get that out to them more effectively? Because we are interested. When we get offered the choice of treatments and our oncologists say we've got this or we've got that, what do you want to do? That has to be an informed decision and that's really hard if you don't understand the research behind that decision. And oncologists help us with that. But we do talk about the research and we want to know more. We don't just want to be your sample. We want to work with you to look at how can we make kinder treatments and how can we have longevity. I don't just want quantity of life. I want quality of life. The patient voice is being heard more and more and our aim is to make it stronger and louder. We were joined by various participants from the participant panel throughout 2002. Rebecca Middleton, the vice chair of the participant panel, took us through her clinical and genetic journey, the difficulty of having a rare disease, and how the lack of information can cause great loneliness and uncertainty, which explains why Rebecca opened HBA support in response. 
I know the power of a word. I know the power of a story. I know the power of, of a phrase. And language it really is it's so meaningful and so valuable. And it's it really does stick. I think everyone around the participant panel has an example of, you know, a perhaps a bad example of how, when they have been spoken to by a clinician, some words really hit home and really hurt. And they still talk about, you know, six years ago, our consultation with Dr. X on this date, and he said X, it, it sticks with people. It means a lot. And it can really affect their mental health and how they think about themselves and how they think about their condition or the condition of, of, their, of their children. Dave McCormick, another brilliant member of the panel, was a guest on our podcast for Genetic Counselor Awareness Day. Let's hear from Dave. A number of patients haven't had the clarity of information. And so if it's one message or one lesson that we can learn from this, and I'm determined, given my work with the Northwest Genomics Medicine Service, as their interim chair of the patient and public voice panel, is that whatever information you are communicating, you do exactly what it says on the tin. Clarity of messaging. What can you provide? How can it be provided? What does this mean for you, the patient? And I think that's so important. And I think partly one of the key roles of the genetic counsellor is to support with that clear messaging. Dave discussed the importance of using lay language to help patients and families understand complex information relating to genomics. And in line with this, the panel developed a very important piece for the patient community this year, the language guide. This guide recommends how to talk about the people whose data is curated by Genomics England and is actively being used to educate internally and externally. One of the things that I'm most proud of recently has been the language guide, which I'll just hold up here. But here's our guide, and that's been um, written entirely by the participant panel um, and uh, colleagues at Genomics England who've been able to advise on the kind of terminology and the language around how researchers might be able to explain to participants what they're up to and also help researchers understand how people with rare conditions and um, other reasons for being in the project like to be talked about because I think there's still the medical viewpoint coming in can sometimes feel quite harsh to a human being living with some of these conditions. We also had some incredibly powerful discussions this year with guests who have sadly lost loved ones despite the best efforts of their doctors including Zoe Conway and Julia Vitarello. Our sarcoma campaign was led by the patient voice with Zoe Conway whose husband Chris Martin died of a rare form of sarcoma in 2015. She recounts Chris's journey with sarcoma and how difficult it is to diagnose both sarcoma and its specific subtypes. Mentally, he needed to just keep on working. I think he sort of felt like if he had too much time to think, it would have a very sort of negative impact on him mentally. So he had to keep going. But also he absolutely loved his job. Absolutely loved his job. He, I can't say he was at the pinnacle of, pinnacle of his career because everyone was predicting he would just keep going, that, you know, he would just become more and more senior within the civil service. But it, it, it was a sort of dream come true for him, that job. We also heard the powerful story of finding answers for Mila, who was diagnosed with Batten's disease and was the first patient to receive a medicine developed just for her in response to the molecular signature associated with her condition. Her mother, Julia, who I was lucky enough to meet recently, talked about her mission to help many more families access treatments for their children. As she puts it, from Mila to millions. I have been particularly excited as over the last few months, I've learned more about 
specifically what Genomics England is doing and just the UK itself and, and how well poised it is, um, especially because of the whole genome sequencing effort at birth, but for other reasons as well, including the fact that David Cameron, you know, lost a son to a rare genetic disease and really stood up and kind of brought that to the UK and really showed that this is a problem that's not as rare as it looks, you know, and really kind of stood up for that. And I'm excited to see what role the UK will play in trying to pioneer not only whole genome sequencing at birth, but also what that could lead to in terms of individualized medicines. Parker and I had the privilege of interviewing many inspirational leaders and scientists this year, including Bettina Lundgren, the CEO of the Danish National Genome Center, with whom we discussed genome sequencing to benefit patients and help find better treatments and cures. Lucy Mackay also joined me on the GWED and delved into her personal relationship to rare disease through her brother and how a conversation at the dinner table with her parents opened the door to many opportunities. And my fascinating conversation with Serena Nick Zainal covered personalized treatments for cancer patients and the impact of the 100,000 Genomes Project. What I'd like to be able to see, I hope, and I think I hope it will happen in our lifetimes, is that um, that we will start to learn how to use the totality of information that's available on tumors. And I don't just mean genomics, I mean any form of omega, yeah. including all the bits around the tumor, the microenvironment, the immune system, you know, very, very effectively. I, you know, I, I just think in the last 10 years alone, cancer research has grown phenomenally. It's been extraordinary um, to, to be involved in all of it. So yeah, I think it's uh, one to watch. It's, very, it's been a real privilege to be, to be in this space. Yeah. Right at the start of 2002, I spoke with Ben Goldacre, the director of the Data Lab at Oxford University, on the use and safety of data, his book Bad Pharma, and the Open Safely Project. I think people have got so caught up in chasing metrics of performance that they've in some cases forgotten what the overarching objective is, which to my mind is doing everything you can with the skills and the resources available to you, in my case, particularly data and people who know how to work with data, to reduce suffering and death. And if you want to reduce suffering and death, you don't do that by depositing a PDF in a journal archive that gets read by eight people. You've got to go out there and have penetrance in the real world. You've got to, you've got to change activity and behaviour. Parker also had a brilliant conversation with the Nobel laureate Harold Varmus about the future of cancer research and the major questions that studying diverse ethnicities will uncover through genomics. As I look at what has happened in the last 50 years or so, I feel we've made a lot of progress and it's, it's right to be hopeful about the future, but I think we have to be realistic and, rep and recognize that, that cancer is a phenomenon that represents an extension of things that happen normally. Mutations are essential to the generation of diversity in life, and mutations are what uh, drive cancers, and uh, there are many other factors that, that influence cell behaviors, and uh, trying to understand all those through the lens of cancer has been beneficial to all phases of biology and medicine. Following Harold, cancer legend Robert Weinberg and Parker talked through why cancer occurs, why it spreads, the challenges and hopes for early detection, and how research is contributing to improving survival for patients around the world. There's enormous potential in these recently developed immunotherapies to empower them to uh, eliminate a whole series of different kinds of cancers. We're not there yet, but I predict with great confidence that 10 years from now, a whole variety of commonly occurring human cancers will be treatable successfully and maybe even curable by uh, future immunotherapies that are developed 
over the coming decade. Parker was also joined by the Pulitzer Prize winning author Siddhartha Mukherjee, who released his new book, The Song of the Cell. All of these things, you know, prevention, early detection, the use of immune therapy, the birth of novel drugs, potentially the birth of combination targeted drugs should make patients hopeful. We are trying, I think, our best to understand, but also to now to, to use that understanding to treat cancer. We've gone from genomics to cell biology to, to, uh, to sort of organismal biology of, of cancer. Um, and I think that is yielding new drugs that uh, we hadn't seen before. So I'm super excited about it and I'm eager to learn what the next steps are. Professional drug developer Nadim Sawa also joined the pod to explore the phenomenon of making medicine, how quickly we can change the realm of medicine, the possibilities of the future. The evolution and future uses of genomics beyond healthcare was the subject of my discussion with Sir Patrick Valance, the government's chief scientific advisor, who also touched on the impact of the pandemic and how genomic sequencing is crucial to understand the spread of 2019. The whole area is gonna be crucial for everything from monitoring waste, you can start to track which ship has discharged things it shouldn't discharge in a port. You can think about its use in monitoring biodiversity, such a key area for the future. Uh, you can think about the impact in the environment on the changes in species across the world over time. You know, this is going to be a ubiquitous area of societal discussion. At Genomics England, we're dedicated to amplifying and strengthening women's voices in STEM. This year, we've had various conversations with some fantastic women in STEM. First up, young scientist Georgia Whitten took us through some unconventional ways of getting into science and talked about her dedication to inspiring young people to pursue a career in STEM, not least via her own YouTube channel. I just really want people to understand that there are other routes into genomic data science that don't involve getting postgraduate qualifications. They involve learning to code. And if we tell undergraduates that earlier, then they will have more opportunities when it comes to finishing their degree. For the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, we had a special episode with three brilliant women at Genomics England to promote full and equal access in science for women and girls. Dr. Ellen Thomas, our clinical director, Arzu Ahmed, our former head of ethics for newborn sequencing, who's now with our friends at Our Future Health, and Dr. Cassandra Smith, one of our senior bioinformaticians, who works on diagnostic discovery, all discussed their careers, the challenges they faced along the way, and how being a woman has impacted their careers. Life is so precious. We really shouldn't be spending any time doing things we don't enjoy and being in places where we don't really want to be there. So I'd say, you know, figure out what values are important to yourself, what brings you that sense of contentment, fulfillment, you know, what it is that life is calling you to in every moment and respond to that. And it will eventually make sense and the, the dots will join up and you'll find a coherency that you perhaps didn't sense as you were going through that period. Stepping back, 2022 brought some fantastic conversations with a range of incredible guests from whom we've learned so much. Huge thanks to all of them. We're really looking forward to what is yet to come for Genomics England and the science world and beyond. And thank you so much for listening to this week's special of The G Word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes into the mainstream of healthcare and society. If you have any views on these topics or have a person in mind that you'd like us to interview, do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. And remember to subscribe to The G Word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And that if you enjoyed listening, 
give us a great review as it really helps other people to find out about the series. See you again on The G Word in the new year.